Welcome to the Blends, Breaks, and Blends that Shape Our Future podcast. I am your host, Troy Rice. Creativity is often taught as a solo practice, and therefore a person that is good at drawing or music is said to be creative. But creativity for kids as well as adults is not limited to the creative arts. Most things we value in life today did not derive from an original idea, but rather concepts that have been blended, broken, or blended. A result from disciplined focus, connecting big picture insights with rigor and testing and small variations. This podcast is to inspire you to create your future, a future you can be proud to live in. On this podcast, you will learn creative practices, stories from creatives themselves, and creativity and history. Looking to get started with an idea? Visit troyrice.life and join a creativity group sharing your idea for thoughtful and rapid feedback to help you create your future. All right, now go blend, break, and blend our world, your world. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome to the Bends, Breaks, and Blends that Shape Our Future podcast. I am your host, Troy Rice. On today's show, we have creative inventor, innovator, and entrepreneur, David Olila. David is the founder of 100,000 Ideas, an advisor for Women's Innovation Fund Accelerator, and president of Snapperhead Inventions. David began his journey as an inventor at the age of seven, creating a thumb-sized cutting board after watching his mom slice bananas and has been inventing and creating businesses ever since. David holds an incredible 16 patents spanning across hardware to technology, and through his inspiring work in growing local economies, has received numerous invites from the White House for keynote addresses. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Troy. Really good to be here. Appreciate it. Awesome. So the first question we ask all of our guests is, what does creativity mean to you? So usually I'm very long in my answers, but this one is very short. And what creativity means to me is freedom. Hmm. Um, And, you know, I think that they say, you know, when you're a free person is or a wealthy person is when you can wake up and do anything that you would like to do. Um, And so I think, um, unfortunately, creativity has become a luxury. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that part of that luxury is the freedom to operate or the freedom to be creative. And so there's many things that you have to get set in your life in order to be able to wake up and be creative. Um, and unfortunately, through uh, you know, a lot of history in our society, we tend to lose the ability or the freedom to be creative um, because of all of the other obligations that we have in life. And creativity seems to become less and less of a priority. And I think it's one of the reasons why our, our, our brains sometimes suffer a little bit as we're doing things is because we have lost the freedom to be able to be creative. And we know a lot of our creative friends are artists or designers or musicians, but we also have to realize that creativity is about product or quality of life or businesses as well. And so I think that if more people had freedom to be creative, um, we would actually solve many more problems at a higher rate of speed than we're able to right now because many of us cannot be creative because we're concerned about putting food on the table or finding uh, care for our children um, or, you know, competing in an ever, you know, louder and, um, uh, you know, um, uh, 
crowded kind of, you know, brainscape of social media and all of the other things that suck our time away. And so, so creativity now is something that we get to when we're in the right um, mindset or we're in the right space uh, versus something that happens on a repeated basis all the time. So I said it was going to be a short answer. I lied completely. <laughs> creativity is freedom. Um, and, and if you are free to be creative, I think you're probably going to be, um, one of the most satiated people on the, on the planet. Incredible. So I alluded to it a little bit in the intro here, but talk about where it comes from for you. Like, tell us where the inspiration to create at a young age and then to continue to create to where you are now and maybe some potential influencers along the way. So we can kind of understand what a continuous journey of creativity looks like. Sure. I, you know, I, I guess I want to be careful of how many topics we uncork here too, right? Because my process was, was very much as an individual person. This is my, my individual perspective. Um, but my mother said something to me a while back, and that was she thought I was so smart until I went to kindergarten. And so prior to kindergarten, I was a pretty intelligent kid. And when I got to kindergarten, the papers that came back home said that I was not. Mm. And so I uh, was an excitable kid, emotional kid, uh, and have and had an incredible amount of creative thoughts all of the time. Um, but that did not gel well uh, with the educational system. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was forced to almost immediately live in, you know, my two, you know, egos, right? And that was, you know, how to get through uh, school and the education system, but how not to lose my creativity. And I think a lot of, uh, you know, folks in, in my generation, X generation, um, it was not an, uh, a, um, a complimentary way to move through life. You either needed to be book smart or you needed to be creative and you kind of are selected along the way. I think where I got extremely fortunate is that my problems of getting through the educational system required an incredible amount of creativity in getting through the system of measurements and KPIs but that I did not have the skill sets to do. Um, and so very early on, and I, and I don't know where or when this is, but I, I started never doing my homework. I was able to get other people to do my homework for me. Or I would, you know, and not outright cheating, but I definitely had to learn how to change the game if I was going to succeed. And so yes. I think that my entire life has been around how do I adjust society to fit with me mm-hmm. versus me to fit with society? And I can tell you, it's, it's not always um, smooth sailing. Um, I am constantly fraught with friction. I feel like I'm swimming upstream. But if that is the cost for the freedom to be creative, uh, I will take that on any measurement, any time of the day. Absolutely. I love that. Um, so let, let me dig in there just a little bit, because I think a lot of kids go through this journey and I did personally um, exactly your story, right? I just, I was never good at grades and I always thought a grade validated what I did and I live with that. Um, But how, how did you push through that at such a young age? Like knowing how to, basically how to leverage your own personal skills, creativity and all that 
call it others doing your homework if you want. It's just leveraging what you need and around you, right? So you're being resourceful. Um, how did you learn that so young where some of us never learn that or learn it way too late uh, where we're just getting started late into our 30s and 40s sometimes? I, well, I don't know if I if there was ever a moment where I where I learned it, but the so and this is this this you know kind of thinking through this now, um, it doesn't seem intuitive. The training for my creative creativity process and going through school was I got incredibly good at failing, and 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 so I I knew and I, I very very much remember this in, in my high school years. I knew that I was going to go into a biology test or a math test and my best possible outcome was going to be a D mm -hmm. if I was lucky because I did not have this ability to retain a bunch of, and I don't believe it's knowledge. I think it's information. And, and so yes. I was not in the information retention business. I was in the let's make up new stuff business and, and always have been. So when it comes to like remembering the lyrics to a song, can't do it, um, you know? Um, however, that I learned how to fail and I learned how to fail at such an incredible level that, and I learned that the consequences were not the end of the world. And, and I, you know, my, my, um, the way that I would make a comparison of that is there were A students, you know, your 4.0 or your 4 point plus students who were experiencing more anxiety during a test, mm -hmm. thinking they were going to get an A minus than I was thinking I was going to get a D. Yes. And when I realized that the ability to go in knowing you're going to get your ass kicked the ability to know that you're not going to come out at the top, the ability to know that you're going to stand out, but not for the reasons why everyone else wants to. Yep. Um, and then I was able to fulfill what was needed, you know, for my, for again, for my own ego and my own sense of, of creating value, you know, creatives become comics, creatives create art that, that mathematicians cannot um, and, and so I was able to find through invention, entrepreneurship, um, you know, pulling apart my bicycle and rebuilding my bicycle. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. I learned how to fail um, with such, I don't I wouldn't call it grace, um, but to literally be able to take the beating and get back up and dust yourself off and go, okay, well, got a D there. Uh, and I'm going to get through this, but, but now I get to create other, other things. And so I'll, I'll summarize that shorter. That was the ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable is the greatest asset to empower you to be creative because you aren't worried about how other people are going to see what you're bringing to the table um, and you get to be the, the judge. And so, you know, failing, being comfortable, being uncomfortable and changing the rules. And I don't think a lot of people realize that you can change the rules of industry, of work, of society and life, and that you, you, know, you may get struck down as the tallest poppy, um, but you get to live a life that, that no one else really gets to experience. And, and that is you know, uh, up on a wire by yourself and the consequences are yours and yours alone. Yes, yes. And so I, I, as a parent, 
And I, I was, we were talking off show here about um, some creativity exercises for kids and our journey here personally, but as a parent and for all the other parents out there um, whose kids are in a traditional school system uh, that teach to a grade and most of them still live in the industrial age era. Now, I do know that there are a lot of schools that are starting to come around with the growth mindset and, and every in nature and everything. Um, we're starting to see a lot more now, but what would you offer to them knowing going back and looking at you as a, as a child and going through that and creating that, that friction uh, for creativity, what would you offer a parent to kind of help them a probably observe where their, their student or their, their son is uh, and then how to give them the right practices now to start creating that in. Do you have any? Yeah. So I'm going to speak as a parent, right? I have two daughters, uh, they're high school age, um, 17 and, uh, 15. Um, and, and, you know, again, my experience is a little bit different, but, you know, when my first child was born, I was running, um, my helmet camera company at kind of the height of its success. Um, and this would have been in the, the early two thousands. Um, my daughter was in my arms at uh, 12 weeks old while I was on conference calls with China. Um, and my daughters have been in, um, so, you know, I grew up where families made announcements, but they didn't necessarily collaborate together. Hmm. Um, and, and so from my personal experience, what we did with our children at very, very young ages is they were involved in all of these conversations and all of these discussions of, should we move? This is the upside. This is the downside. What about this job? And, and so, you know, we never, um, you know, surprised or dropped something on our children, even before they had the capacity to fully understand the consequences of these decisions. Um, but my kids have been in contentious business meetings, you know, where they look like they're drawing, but they're not, they are absolutely paying attention to how do you negotiate, right? Yes. How do you, how do you deal with, with folks? And so, yes. so my daughters have grown up in an environment where they get to see the good, the bad, the ugly, the challenges, the wins. Um, you know, we talk about my no high five rule. Uh, so, so my businesses always have a no high five rule. And, and that is because every time you're working on something difficult, when you go and you start handing out high fives, um, it allows you to go to the height of this uh, experience. Um, but no question, no doubt, every single time you give a high five, you're going to wake up the next morning and something's going to kick you in the shin. Um, mm -hmm. And so entrepreneurs and innovators, you know, we're in the business to fail. Uh, we are not in the business to succeed. And, and the notion of having one good idea, you know, all of those things that we know, none of that is true. You know, you have to constantly show up, get dragged. People will steal your ideas. People will stab you in the back. People will pretend that you're, you're, they're your friends and they're not your friends. Mm. You, you go through all of those situations when you're willing to kind of stand out um, on your own. And so, so we indoctrinated our children into real life as soon as possible. And that goes to one of my favorite things to say. And, and that is the worst thing that we can ask our children is what they want to be when they grow up. And the reason is, is because we're saying you have to pick one thing and you have to be a grown up before you're allowed to practice that. Um, 
we don't have time for the current generation to be grown-ups to start exercising creativity and problem-solving skills. And we certainly can't be bringing them through a factory system of education without the ability to think on their own. Because if anything that we've learned in the last two years is there are no rules. We absolutely get to recast not only our role in society, but what's important to society, what businesses, what um, you know, media platforms. Uh, it's all up for reinvention. Um, and so this is this this may backlash on me a little bit, but I think I think you know, situations like COVID where we have to take a, we are forced to take a wholesale new perspective on the world. Um, I feel, uh, you know, if we've been around for what, you know, earth, a couple billion or several billion years, right? Humans, you know, for a nanosecond. Um, the fact that our generations who are on this planet right now have the ability of changing the trajectory um, I hope it's not lost uh, uh, that as an opportunity because there's been many generations who did not have the ability to change um, our trajectory as a, as a human species and, and how we care for the planet and how the planet feeds us. Yes. Yes. And I would tell you, at least we're getting, some of us are getting better at asking better questions. Um, and that, that is the, the huge uh, change to come. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I echo everything you said. Like it, it comes from breaking down walls. I, I, when I used to speak in schools, um, I coined the phrase uh, breaking down boxes to kids when I would give speeches because life feels like a box. And if you're a kid, like sometimes if, if it's not whole raw foods, like you're eating everything you eat comes in a box, uh, cars in a box, your house is a box, your shower in a box, your school's in a box. Like, and so you start to live like this very enclosed life. Um, until somebody teaches you to break through. And, and if nobody helps you do that, then it comes later in life when you hit a breaking point of really finding out who you are and what you want to do. Uh, and so I echo everything that you're saying. And I love that you involved your kids from business calls to your failures. Like, And I, I've been open and honest with, with my oldest, who's nine, who just, just sponges, right? Listens to everything. And you know he'll mm -hmm. ask me about, farm bridge and i'll say well no we haven't got off the ground running but we're still trying we've pivoted a couple times and i'm okay with that um and i think he is too and so i love everything about that so so what give us a, a day in the life of david i want to yeah. hear like what is what is what do creativity practices look like or how do you get your mind going and then you know when you create resistance or friction in an entrepreneurial world or inventive world like how do you push through that? Like, do you have exercises and practices? Cause I like to leave people with some, some tangible things that they can do just even to just take one step forward. Sure. Um, you know, kind of my, my own clock and, and we all, we all know that we have the times where we're most creative or the time where we get the best paperwork done uh, and the time that, you know, we're best spent to allow our minds to, to wander. So very quickly, a day in day in the life is, try to make sure that I'm up when my kids are before they go to school. And, you know, there's another issue is that 
you know, my kids are off to school before seven o'clock in the morning. I'm not sure how natural that is uh, unless you work on a farm. Right. Um, so, um, so, you know, one is I try to make sure that I have at least that five or 10 minute moment of, of time um, with the family before the, the kids are off to school. Yes. Um, and then it's fairly quickly, you know, I, I like my cup of coffee and I like to do, you know, some, some, you know, social media, uh, you know, see what's happening for the day. Um, but a lot of times that causes a the, the negative support for mm. creativity, right? Because what we see is the news and the and the discord that's that's causing problems versus you know providing solutions. And so um, so that's what I that's I think that's what I want to get to is that creativity can come from several different you know motivational um, inflection points. Um, some are positive and some are negative and. Um, so the harder problems, the more uh, the the political issues, and a lot of people don't realize this, you know. But the first stage of business is is weighting the political and the regulation and and the relationships and the agendas of all of the people that you need to pull together to make stuff happen and mm. and get on the same page. It's very very unproductive. It's not the fun part because it's it's like painting, you know. The, a good painting job means you spent you know, twice as long in preparation and in masking and in putting, um, you know, floor coverings down. And that has nothing to do with the finished job, yes. but it has everything to do with the quality of, of the job. And so, so I try to, my wife says, eat your broccoli first, right? You know, mm -hmm. so, so get through those things first. Yes. Um, but I think creativity can come from, you know, very positive things. So when I feel like I'm on a roll or I'm juiced, that's that, when you hear a song and you're singing to yourself and, and you, you know, you start to see very positive things. Well, that drives a certain kind of creativity for me on the aspect of the buildings that I want to design for a project that I'm working on, for instance. Um, but then I get inspiration from negative things as well is, is when I do see something online that shows that resources are going to this area when I know they should be going to this area. Hmm. It's okay to get a little bit irked and a little bit emotional. And, and what I think people need to realize is that humor and change come from people saying what everyone is thinking, but they're not afraid to say it. Yeah. And, and we tend to not want to challenge things that would lead to change because it's going to make things a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and this goes into, you know, I mean, fight or flight type type responses. And so I think your creativity can be driven by a number of things. Exercise wise, here's what I do. I get that broccoli done in the morning. Look, at this is the, you know, first of the month is coming up. You've got accounting. I've got to go into QuickBooks. That is not my forte. It's not something I want to spend time doing. On. It's yeah. not where I'm more creative. So if I don't get that done before nine o'clock in the morning, it's probably not going to get done that day. Um, then I will work on some of the projects that may take some time and, and are more hands-on creative, whether that's, you know, writing that has to be done, whether it's, um, you know, right now, again, I'm working on kind of a real estate project. So that's requiring a lot of creativity of, of land layout and, and, and yeah. what kind of buildings can I, can I build? Um, and then, uh, you know, we're getting to the afternoon time of things. So right around this time is when I'm thinking, 
what do I need to close up for the day? Put the broccoli away. I got some level of project done so that I don't feel like I've procrastinated. Um, and on a day like today where the sun is shining and there's some snow on the ground, um, I'm going to go out and exercise. I'm going to go out. I'm going to cross-country ski. I'm going to snowshoe. Yes. I'm going to ride my snow bike. Uh, I'm going to take a you know a walk, but I'm going to make sure I get sun and fresh air um, and exercise. Uh, and if I can do all of those things in a day and I can repeat that, to me, that's kind of the perfect, perfect life. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And I... <laughs> I, uh, so David and I both uh, reside in Michigan. So it's funny when we talk about like 30 degree and sunlight sh shining through is actually a nice day. <laughs> yeah. Nine is my nine degrees is kind of my threshold yeah. um, when it gets below <laughs> nine degrees. And, you know, um, right now we're going to hit a high of, I think, 22 or 23 today. And, and yes, you, you have to be an outdoor winter person to understand that 22 degrees is prime outdoor winter weather uh not too warm not too cold and a little bit of sunshine today um today will be a two-hour excursion more likely than a half hour but but that is i think it's important right that um you live a life where you're where you know when are the moments of what kind of work you do best how to set time away to be creative and be diligent about being creative, even if it's just doodling on your on your paper, right, and, and running through things in your head. Yes. Um, and then you have to be well fed and well exercised and and um, and not have that that feeling of you let yourself down because you didn't accomplish things on on the list. Right. Um, you can't spend your life waiting for the creative moment to come and hit you mm. um, because they're too far uh, and in between in order to do that, you, you actually have to set aside, uh, time to be creative. And then you have to make sure that your body and your mind, um, and your family are all in the right spot to be able to support that. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's been many times where I go out for a run and I come back and I call it a meditative run. So I don't listen to music or anything. I just let my thoughts flow yep. and I'll come racing into the house to write something on the board to capture my ideas and my thoughts down. And my wife's like, what are you doing? Like, you just came like crazily running through the house. Like, I didn't want anybody to distract me. Like I've got my mind going right now. I want to capture some things. Yeah. Come talk to me in five minutes. So yeah, the bucket was overflowing. Right. And, and, and it starts to happen. You have to allow yourself to be able to do that. Yes. Amazing. So uh, real quick though, I would love for you to tell everybody, uh, some of the projects that you're working on. And so I know we talked about hundred thousand ideas, uh, and then the snapper head inventions, uh, company that you're the president of. So give the listeners a little bit of insight on, uh, what projects have you created, what you're doing with them so they can learn if they can get involved or if they're curious about getting involved and how they can do that. Sure. I'll try to do it really, really quickly. And it's going to go back a little bit in, in time because the, yep. the, the last time I had a job, uh, I was about 25 years old, um, and and I really haven't worked a day since then. Um, I was selling signs for a regional sign uh, uh, company. We and, and if you're not familiar as the listeners, you know, I'm in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which is a very remote area, um, only about um, 300,000 in, in population, but 33 percent. Of, of Michigan's landmass. It's very remote. Yes. Um, 
It's about a seven hour, eight hour drive from Detroit. Uh, you know, if you wanted to make it up to to Marquette, Michigan. And and so we're in the we're in the middle of nowhere. Um, I started promoting mountain biking. Um, and, and I should preface this by saying I'm in the same exact business today as I was when I started that company. Um, and so I started a company called UP Mountain Bike Magazine with my wife. Um, and the way this went down was I was out selling signs. Um, and then I started thinking about the fact that mountain biking was going to be something that was going to come to the UP of Michigan that could drive economic development. Mm. And there should be some coordination in those efforts. Um, and I came home one night and I said, okay, um, I quit my job. And we have um, 30 days to start a magazine. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, I just sold $10,000 worth of advertisement. And I said, we would have a magazine out in 30 days promoting mountain biking in the UP. Um, and, and that was literally the last time for, you know, very many years that I, that I worked uh, because I had turned that into something that I was passionate about. Yes. Um, UP Mountain Bike Magazine launches in 1996. Um, by 1998, 99, I'm thinking, how do I take this thing, uh, this magazine and put it onto this thing called the internet? Um, and I asked people if I could put video on the internet. Um, and I was told you couldn't put video on the internet and keep in mind, this was five years before YouTube. And yes. this is where, you know, it's important to, to realize that you can be really smart and really stupid all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And my passion was around mountain biking and skiing and snowboarding and rally car racing uh, and action sports. And I missed the cats and dogs. Uh, and so you can be brilliant on one hand and completely miss the, the major opportunity on another hand. And too many stories with, within that. But the magazine ended up going to... Um, online and I was able to do video because I found one of my secrets of success in launching companies was hiring the youngest, most capable people I could find. Nice. And every single company and every nonprofit and any project that I've worked on has one common thing. I hired undergrad students to be my first employees because while the professors at the university said I couldn't put video online, this 17-year-old kid thought I could. Yes. And we did it. Uh, and they stunk. They were small, little, herky-jerky videos, but we did it. And we were five years ahead of YouTube. Um, and, and as that uh, company grew and I was creating video content and I ended up supplying content to iTunes and Google before they bought YouTube, um, did a number of the reality television shows, and, and really created a really, what I thought was a really cool helmet camera company. Now this was prior to GoPro, um, but they raised 300 million and were based in California and I could only raise 3 million in Michigan and I was based in Marquette. And, and this is also another lesson is that I don't care how creative, how clever, how smart you are, anything that you are working on Someone more creative, someone smarter, and someone with more resources is also working on that thing in a different corner of the globe. Yep. Um, so waiting will not do you any good. You have to move. You have to move at any increment that you can move forward. Um, and forward momentum is the only way to maintain momentum and to create companies and, and opportunities. So helmet camera company, that was a company called Biosport, did a number of those cameras. 
Um, in 2009, I wanted to create a plastic blow molded ski that would work as a ski snowshoe hybrid. Uh, and I did that with a challenge, which was, could I make that using automobile manufacturing technology in Michigan? And so I figured out how to create a blow molded ski snowshoe hybrid that was produced in the same plant that did the running boards for the Jeep Wrangler. Wow. Um, and that product was designed to only earn the average household income. So the question was, is in, in entrepreneurship, we want everyone to, to be the next, you know, major unicorn billion dollar opportunity, right? And I won't name all those companies. We know what all those companies mm -hmm. are. But what this country really needs is the ability to double the average household income, which is only 60,000 or so dollars yes. a year. And so if you have a creative idea and if you can create a side hustle and you can bring a product to market and it can earn the average household income, I think our country would be much better off economically by providing more wealth creating opportunities to a larger swath of people. But we don't actually really teach entrepreneurship. We enable privileged people to become entrepreneurs, but we haven't really done a good job of how do you relieve the innovator of the entrepreneurial burden. And unless you're going to a major university with great research projects and your community really understands how to support your entrepreneurs, we're not going to have enough throughput. So that product was created for that test. Um, then it was, uh, how do you make this available for a lot of different people? And I was able to go to Northern Michigan University and, and convince the president, uh, David Haynes at the time, um, and uh, a local you know, group of stakeholders to create Invent at NMU with this idea that Northern Michigan University students, if given the proper venue and the proper mentoring, could actually activate a number of these creative ideas for the community. And one of the outcomes of that when it was first launched was one new idea walked in the door every three days in a town of 22,000 people. And so what we realized that is if you open the door on the ground floor and make it accessible to anybody with ideas, whether they're good or bad, yes. you can go through the process. And creativity is not about having one good idea and spending a long time on it. Creativity is about many, many small experiments to see which ones flourish and then investing in those ones. Yes. But our society has this concept of holding those ideas. And so one of the data points that we learned at both Invent at NMU and 100K Ideas was the average person will hold their idea for five years before they share it because the unscratched lottery ticket of this idea sitting in their pocket is worth more than executing on it and finding out that it's a failure. So we've created a society who has more value in an idea that only provides virtual reprieve from their daily lives versus scratching off that ticket and then getting another one and another one and another one. So Invent at NMU kind of uncovered that opportunity here in Marquette, Michigan. Um, I had a, a visitor who was uh, Governor Snyder, was the governor of Michigan at the time, came in to invent at NMU and, and looked and said, why aren't we doing this in, in other parts of the state? Um, and then it became apparent that Flint um, was the number one area that could use a system to relieve the innovator that support entrepreneurs. 
And so I had this incredible opportunity of going down to Flint um, and standing up the Ferris wheel uh, and 100K ideas with the local community there. Um, and the amount of deal flow was about 10 times the amount of deal flow in a rural community, but it was still the unusual suspects that were able to walk into a retail-like setting and say, I have an idea, I don't know what to do next, and I'm afraid to tell you what it is because I'm worried someone's gonna steal it. And so what you do is you create a system of college students and you say the intellectual property belongs to the client and let's try to find out if we can create a product or bring a business to market. And, nice. and that creates kind of two outcomes, you know, and, and this speaks for both Invent at NMU and 100K Ideas is that when you give young people the ability to exercise their skill set, which they are likely better at it than you are when it comes to production of graphics or, or marketing communications or social media, um, we created a team of students then that became one of the best workforce development programs in the fact that you instilled in these young people who have this talent, the ability to take risks and be uncomfortable and be accountable. And once you hit that point where they start firing on their own, look out world, and, and you can look across social media and you can look at some of the success stories of Invent at NMU and 100K Ideas. Um, and there are some fantastic entrepreneurs that by the way, likely over a period of time would have been able to do it on their own but just that little point of support at critical junctures of their you know, business development is the difference between overwhelming success and kind of wallowing through this, this process. So 100K Ideas came out of that. Um, and, and now I'm back and, and there's been, you know, there was a hotel in there. There's a number of other products. There was a stint for Kodak in there. Um, you know, I'm glossing over a, a number of other projects. Um, but when now what I'm most excited about is I think that the Upper Peninsula of Michigan um, has the most opportunity since Henry Ford had 15 plants in the UP supplying the Detroit manufacturing arsenal that the Upper Peninsula's value proposition as far as how it can contribute to the state is as high as it's ever been. Um, and we just need a few more things to fall into place. And so I have a concept of, of building uh, an innovation, community, placemaking, um, real estate development here in Marquette. Because if anyone is working on an outdoor recreation product or service, um, and especially if it's related to mobility, I think Michigan can own those industries. And so um, yeah. I am banging my head against the wall to try to create a facility that will engage Detroit. And when I say Detroit, I mean the rest of Michigan and the UP <laughs> yeah. in a combination that no other state in the country can replicate. And that is the incredible natural assets and experiences that the UP brings to the table, plus you know, a, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, generations of people who had to be very, very creative in creating an existence in the UP. Yeah. And I believe we can marry that with the power of manufacturing, engineering, design, and technology that's happening in the rest of the state yes. to become the clear leader in outdoor recreation and mobility. Um, that's a, that's a bold statement. And I don't think we're 
anywhere near being able to accomplish that. Um, but that's what I'm working on, and that's what I'd like to see happen. I think rural communities have an opportunity to um, produce and participate at a quid pro quo with the industrial base of our states uh, in a way that people are just being enlightened to now on how to activate these rural communities and distribute wealth creating opportunities over wider geographic areas than centered in these little you know nodes of excellence yeah no is that for a short answer i really am bad at that yeah no this is really short <laughs> um the the amazing thing that you said in there and I was, i'm trying to i was trying to connect the dots because what i often see is like ideation is just gone for many years right and then all of a sudden a student steps onto campus and let's say there's an entrepreneur program, right? It takes a while for them to get to a place where, okay, well, let me like rejog my ideation memories and get back to creating things. And, you know, if my professor asks us a group of us to kind of research and build something, like it takes a little bit of time because you practice for 15 years of not doing so. And so there's like, not even, not even practice encourage not. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's this huge gap that you have to kind of revisit back to. But what you're talking about is building that in from the beginning and then creating an environment that actually promotes that and brings people in. And so that is incredible versus creating a program on top of something and hoping that it works, realizing that that's not the place that everybody's at uh, anymore in most cases. Absolutely. So if you have, you know, let's say one success over a 10 year period in a community, and you don't have any failures, that is your number one failure. And, and our mentality is, yeah. is that we wanna be winners so bad that we only pick the winners. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a misconception that you have the ability of picking winners. And, and the fact of the matter is, and so I would much rather, you know, I would rather see instead of a billion dollar company getting created in the UP one over the next 10 years, I would rather see a thousand failures and a hundred smaller success stories because that is the petri dish of innovation and creation. Um, unfortunately, the system, you know, we kind of have a reverse funnel, right? The, the funnel, you know, used to be like this and that was every single idea gets to go through this. And we've created a system of economic development and entrepreneurial and community support. That is, I, I can only afford to have a winner go through that funnel and you have the wrong people managing who gets into that funnel. Um, and this is, again, you know, with, with COVID, with the change in rural and, and quality of life questions and, and who and how and where we spend our time and why, um, I think we now have the ability of starting to flip those funnels over because what we're realizing is the urban communities are not going to drive the future of society. And we have to distribute to a broader swath of people so that we have a more diverse look. And so we can iterate thousands of experiments from millions of perspectives um, versus you know, picking winners out of the gate. And, and that's something that has to get flipped. Yeah, so real quick here, I, one thought popped in my head there was delayed gratification. Is that rooted in all of this? Because it seems like at the top, like the funnel that hinders uh, multiple projects coming through to test out and the ability of the person that's putting the project in to realize that they don't need instant gratification of a win on a project for 
something great to happen. So is a lot of this rooted in delayed gratification and how we can build that in for not only the organizations that are helping accelerate this for people, but for teaching people at the ground level? Yeah, and there's a couple of different ways I think about that, right? So the instant, yeah. instant gratification is very personable. Um, and, and while we're often driven by our own motivation, um, you know, I'm constantly telling myself that I'm in this for the long game. I'm in it for the long game. And that, that goes back to that no high five rule, right? You know, each little yeah. thing can't be celebrated because, because I know the road is rot in, you know, in failure. And so that delaying that gratification, but I think I would take it to one, you know, further step philosophically, and that is you need to find gratification within the process, not within the outcome. Um, And, and, you know, too often, you know, we, we say, you know, was it successful or not? Right. And, you know, I'm a, I'm an adventurer at heart, right. How I would classify in the world of adventurers, I'm not sure, but, but in my own world, I love to go on adventures. And, and as an adventurer, every single person knows that it's not an adventure until you deviate from your plan. And, and so I can plan on a hike, but I can plan on a hike. And when that, that wildlife, so last night I was on a ski and I came down a hill very quickly into a recent, you know, um, area of logging. There's about a herd of about 50 deer in there, right? Well, I didn't plan on that. I didn't expect it, but that was the part of that experience that resonated with me the most, right? I got my exercise, I got my head thinking, and then I got to sit and I got to watch a huge herd of deer move because I just disrupted them, right? And and the you know, the flat tire on an adventure, that's when it gets engaging and fun and you're in the moment, right? And so that has to be part of that long process. And too often, if something deviates, we immediately change. And so you have to put it off. Now, I have a, I have a trick, and maybe this is a good thing to, to leave listeners with, yeah. is um, my longer, more audacious visions, which are always above my grasp, right? They're always like, I know I'm probably not going to win or I'm not going to come out on top. Um, but I also know that it's important for me to be pushing towards these opportunities. I always have kind of two levels of projects going at any given time. And then I have a three or four in the wings. I have the projects that I think will change society or change my community um, and are and are large. And I can't control all of the aspects in that creative process or in that innovation. There are too many outside factors that are gonna go against me, whether it's people or process or heritage you know, financing or regulations or whatever that might be. I also always have a project uh, typically that create that needs hands um, and my ability to build something. And so my garage always has a project where I am the only person in control of that project moving forward. And I can absolutely go in. So right now it's a van. I'm making an adventure van. Um, you know, kind of like a van life camping van type thing. And um, my challenge is I'm only using materials I have laying around, right? Instead of going out and buying anything that I that I want, which gives it a level of creative challenge of like, how do I repurpose this for that? Um, but I can go into the garage and I can work on my van 
and I am the only person responsible and I can, I can control that environment much more. So that project gives me that response and that positive feedback that I'm able to do something and I can see the improvement and I can benefit from that. And if I don't have one of those while I'm working on something audacious, I really lose momentum on the audacious thing because I can't move anything forward in that period of time. And that causes that self-doubt, that, that questioning your ability, that should I stay this in the long game? So my personal tactic is have something I can do creative moving forward on its own volition, and then also be taking a shot at something that I might not be able to get done, but is absolutely worth the, the process. All of that. So, so things that are out of your control and things that are within your control for balance. I mean, life Correct. balance. So um, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. So David, how can people find you? What's the best way for them to reach out to you if they're curious about any of the projects or just to, to connect with you? Yeah, I think um, LinkedIn is probably my my best platform for reaching, reaching out to me on, on LinkedIn. Um, uh, and uh, that's probably the easiest way. I don't have a website right now for this project I'm kind of in between these different projects. Um, yeah. Always... Um, always, you know, uh, available and want to be available to help people who have ideas but don't know where to go next. Um, and I'm, I'm especially interested in rural. I'm interested in mobility. What's going to happen with the EV world um, in the outdoor recreation space? Um, and I'm really interested in how do we connect, you know, communities uh, across the UP. Um, with some of the, you know, more active communities around economic development opportunities throughout um, lower Michigan, but also the UP is in a unique situation because, you know, we're very much connected with um, Wisconsin and Minnesota as well. And if you look at that iron range across the top of the United States, um, you know, this is a, a community of very like-minded people who, you know, who know that, you got to knock ice off of your, your tractor if it's nine below zero and you still have to go to work. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you, David, for coming on. It's been a, an absolute pleasure to have you. Troy, I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, sorry for, you know, my run on sentences and the diatribe, but hopefully someone finds a, a nugget of inspiration in there. Absolutely. There was some great stuff in there. So really appreciate it. And thank you to all our listeners for listening to the, the breaks blends that shape our future podcast. We always bring on an amazing guest to talk about their journeys and creativity to hopefully inspire you to not only get started, but to continue down a practice towards shaping your future. So thank you again, David, and we will see you next time.